Hannah Dunleavy's Outside of the Box. Hello and welcome to this month's Outside the Box. Might be another one later in the month because, as you've probably noticed, I've been on my holidays and I haven't done one of these for ages. So, yeah, we've missed the Line of Duty finale. We've missed Game of Thrones. I think both of those boats have sailed. But actually, you can hear me. My thoughts on Game of Thrones. I am on Strong Female Leads podcast this week talking mm-hmm. about how they really fucked up Jamie. And how I had to go and watch it on a phone in a Hooters car park, stealing their Wi-Fi <laughs> hat to, at two hat o'clock to. in the morning. Um, yeah. Yes, but onwards and upwards, we're going to talk about May. I'm here with Mick. Oi, oi. And Jen. Yo. <laughs> oh, oh, there she is. And we are going to talk about, you know, regardless of what you thought about either of those things, Game of Thrones and uh, Line of Duty, by the way, May 2019, put it in your diaries, I actually categorically believe this might have been the greatest month of television ever. It's been pretty incredible. Yeah. I've got loads of stuff to say about news that's coming up, which is why, why maybe we'll do one later in the month, because there's, there's news on Strange Things, there's news on Glow, there's news on Bojack Horseman, there's loads of news. Uh, but we haven't got time to talk about it, because we're just going to talk about all the good TV in the world, which is happening as we speak now. I mean, I'm not checking you. There is, like, two of the greatest... British living screenwriters are currently writing for television right now. Sally Wainwright and Shane Meadows. That, as if that's not enough, the greatest living comedy actress ends like the best comedy series of the decade in perfect style. And if that's not enough, HBO releases a drama which is already the highest rated drama ever on IMDb and the greatest television show in the world ever that was hanging there without an ending for 12 years, has ended. So, yeah, I don't think I'm exaggerating. So let's start. What should we start with? Talk should we start with Chernobyl? Okay. Who has watched it? I have watched it. No. Okay. And it's the, uh, we're recording this on Monday and it's the finale tonight. Yeah, and th- that disclaimer is going to exist with a lot of this stuff. Yeah, um, we won't have seen the last one. I'm the hoping they're going to turn it all around on <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gonna have a happy ending. It's not gonna. HBO five part dramatization in conjunction with Sky. Sky is where you will find it in the UK of the nineteen eighty six disaster in what is now the Ukraine. I mean, I don't really know how to describe this other than wow, it's like a ensemble. I mean, I can say what it is. It's an ensemble piece. Uh, about... Can I just help you out a little bit in that HBO didn't really know how to describe it either because for the first time ever I saw something described as a mini series experience. Well, I think experience is a good word. And yeah. I think you will experience it differently based on maybe some preconceptions you had before, how much knowledge you had before, what you think of what current administrations are doing. There's a lot to unpack in it, definitely. I think its greatest achievement is that it has caused a spike in searches for how true is Chernobyl. So people are learning stuff, and that's the greatest thing that television can actually do. It's not entirely accurate, as I've read a number of things say, but I've also seen a staggering amount of praise for how accurate it is for a TV drama. Most of it is stuff that's been moved around in terms of time frame, or things that 
are presented as true because that's what people believe to be true yeah. when it was happening. But they utterly believed it at the yeah, time, and, and that's and the characters we're following. In the advert you see for it, you will hear the voice of Jared Harris, who looks more like his dad every single day. Every single scene. Yeah, <laughs> who, who says, we are, are dealing with something that the world has never experienced before, and they absolutely were. Obviously, if you you don't need to know the story because they actually explain it quite well. There's actually a brilliant piece of exposition that's done when Jared Harris's character has to explain to Stellan Skarsgård's character, Boris, what a nuclear reactor actually is. Mm. And it is the most excellent piece of, uh, of exposition because it's done, you know, in a way that, that makes sure that we can understand it, but it's also believably done in that point and ends with a joke of Stellan Skarsgård going, well, now I understand it. What do I need you for? It's really bleak. It will make you really angry. It will make you chew for your fist. It's actually physically repulsive in parts. You might not like it. It has some crazy good performances. Oh, my God. They're um, incredible. Two I'm going to pick some, out some in particular. Some nuclear performances. Paul Ritter, who and I always thought would forever be the guy with tampons in his ears from pulling when uh, Tanya Franks has a, uh, <laughs> decides to wreak her tiny, weird revenges on him. He is absolutely incredible. And also Alex Ferns, who plays the... who Alex Ferns, you will know who he is. He it was uh, Trevor. Trevor Morgan, who little Mo brained with a, an yeah, iron. of course. Of course I know who that is. Back in the 1990s, maybe. Early thousands. In but yeah. EastEnders who is proper balls out, like proper balls out. Literally balls out. Amazing. He's a really good actor. He was, you know, he was very good in EastEnders. This is trying to say something that's relatively profound, which is that, you know, we are a blight on the face of the earth. That is exactly the word, we are a blight. But at the same time, in times of crisis, human beings are capable of doing extraordinary things for no personal gain for themselves. And I think that's what makes this interesting is because it's very, very, I mean, obviously it's not Russian. But I've seen a lot of Russian people, certainly a lot of people who were from the Ukraine, comment that it seems pretty it's authentic. They don't feel affronted by it in any way. The attention to detail, especially to like period design. and It's great. No one's doing an accent apart from their own accent. It's just all set in Russia. But yeah. everyone like, so Alex Fern is incredibly Scottish. But th- I think that's OK. It because works. No, I Russians think it works. have a very diverse yeah, yeah. range Oh, no, I, I was saying it as yeah. a, a real plus point. Yeah. Um, and they reckon that's actually why. It's been as successful as it has, strangely, because... Because it's not alienating. Yeah, because people aren't Mm. like, oh, God, I can't sit and watch bad accents. Mm. Um, If this was about a disaster that had happened in America, America, by nature, are more sentimental, more air-punchy, and Russians are not. Mm. Russians are stoic, and they're no-nonsense. And so this drama is stoic and no-nonsense, and I absolutely love it for it. There's a bit in it where Jared Harris says... We're going to have to bring in the bio-robots. And I went, hey, bio-robots. And I was like, oh, wait, what's a bio-robot? And then somebody on the screen says, what's a bio-robot? And he says, PayPal. And you suddenly realise that actually this terrible, terrible job, human beings are going to have to do it. And human beings did it. And it's incredible, I think. Yeah. He actually says men. And it is men who do most of the, yeah. this is going to kill you work. It is, it's heartbreaking. But they just get on with it they just buckle down and get on with it and Hannah and I had a little chat about it when she got back off her holidays and um, we're discussing the fact that if it had been in any other country 
would people have evacuated without this? It seems to be the quickest evacuation because everyone's just very Soviet about stuff. The yeah. state yeah. is telling me to do this. I'm going to do this. The greater and good. For the greater good. People queuing up, men queuing up to sacrifice themselves for the greater good. And I, I just don't think we'd have it. If someone tried to take my cat away from me yeah. to make me move out of my house without having time to grab anything, I'd be kicking off a bit. And I'd, I'm sure some people did. There is an old lady who does. Yeah. But... It's very rare. Everyone else is just like, okay, we're being told to do something. But the reason she does is based in a history of stoicism rather than a this is a personal inconvenience to me. It's a point of principle for her. I mean, I don't think you can be spoilery on this because, you know, it's there. It's been in the public domain for like 30 odd years. But there's a bit that is so insane where basically men have to run up onto a roof pick up radioactive stuff, throw it down a hole, and they can only be up there for a maximum of 90 seconds. It's beyond insane because it's kind of like the crystal maze in that everybody's just fucking grabbing stuff and throwing it, except that what's falling on you is essentially nuclear waste. It's, yeah, it's mind-blowing. I don't think we would do that in this country. I don't think the people queuing up to say we got through two world wars would get do it for this country either, no, to be I honest. No, I don't think so either. And that's not to say I agree with anything that happens in the Soviet Union, but I... I find that, that that's what makes this work for me. It, it is what it is. It's not trying to be, put a sheen on it. It's just tiny, tiny vignettes. Um, let's go to something equally as bleak. Over on Channel 4, Shane Meadows, The Virtues. Equally brilliant, though. It's fucking incredible. It's ringing my heart out, Stephen, Shane, Helen. Uh, okay, so it's actually... Not just Shane Meadows, it's Shane Meadows, written by Shane Meadows and Jack Thorne. Jack Thorne is very much uh, a man of the moment. He wrote Kiri, he wrote National Treasure. Yeah, National Treasure. So responsible for a Harry Potter play. Or no, I don't know about that sort of stuff. But yeah, very much a man of the moment. I did wonder how the two of them would work together. The answer is seemingly very well. They're working with, I can't, I mean, seriously, if you listen to Outside the Box, you must be bored of me going on about how wonderful Stephen Graham is. Stephen Graham is just astonishing. He is one of the best actors we have, and he's doing an amazing job in this. It's the story of a man who kind of loses his future, I suppose you could say, and decides to delve around in his past and work out why things have gone very badly wrong but that, I mean I would say that makes it sound a little bit like a choice whereas it feels like he doesn't have a choice in what his brain is doing or okay. taking him do you know what I mean yeah no yeah. no I agree it is snotty it's pukey it's piss stained I mean, we haven't got time to go on about how great everything is because, like I say, this is we've got a list to get through of stuff that's incredible. But there's two things to say about this that I think are worthy of note. The first one is Shane Meadows is a director. He's a great writer, but fuck me. The performances he gets out of children, oh, I think, is the staggering. absolute like key to what makes him so brilliant. That family feels like a family. Yep. It really, really does. Those children, I don't know if they're allowed to improvise. I don't know what he does to get performances like that out of kids. Just talking about being natural, being relaxed around the camera, bickering with each other like siblings would. It's incredible. Did you know they went to Ireland to try and find the kids for this and they went, they were going to have a family of two kids and they found three and were like, yeah, but they're too good. We can't leave yeah. any of them. So that's why it's a family of three. They are absolutely cracking. And the second thing to say is, is on siblings. I mean, this this really gets to the nub of what, what sibling relationships are, I think. It's, you know, you love them, you hate them. They are your link to the past. And this really, really nails that. Two great roles for women, one... His sister, one his sister-in-law, 
absolutely cracking. You'd love his sister-in-law, Jen. She can throw a punch like like no other woman. And I think what I actually I find find quite touching, and this won't be relevant to anyone else, the character of Stephen Graham, Joe, his life changed irrevocably on a date. You see that date on a gravestone. And that date is the 18th of July, 1983. Stephen Graham is almost exactly the same age as me, to within about a couple of months. He's a tiny bit older than me. So what happened to his character, I can identify where I was in my life. Exactly that. 18th July 1983 is the day my brother was born. And so I have a really clear picture of what it was to be nine and a half, really ten. You know, because that was... uh, Suddenly, I wasn't the baby anymore. There was a baby and life really changed in a good way. Stephen Graham's life changes in a bad way. And I think... I don't, I don't know, but it's worth mentioning that he isn't, those children aren't the only children in it. There is a child, and children, people who play people in flashbacks, oh, yeah, quite often you forget they exist, weirdly, and the child in that is amazing, and I find it really touching. Like, staggeringly brilliant scene in the first episode, and because it's on Channel 4, there are ad breaks, and it goes from ad break to ad break, but it's him with a chess cam, so you're following him from this weird angle, and... He is brilliant. The directing is brilliant. It's almost one clean shot. Mm. And I just sat with my mouth open going, fucking hell, Joe. And also, fucking hell, Stephen Graham and Shane Meadows. This is, it's just incredible television. That that scene is remarkable because there's like, there's two examples of it that always speak my mind of like people who are playing people who seem all right, but you know they could go at any moment. Yes. Eric Banner in Chopper and um, Brad Pitt in The Assassination of Jesse James are both like they're smiling and you're like oh they're gonna fucking go mental in a minute and Stephen Graham is on that edge the whole way through that scene and you're like oh what's gonna happen to him yeah what is gonna yeah. happen head, to Hannah's him has got yeah. a head in her hands and that's pretty much how I watched it yeah should we move on to something a bit more chirpy maybe not completely happy but a bit more chirpy Gentleman Jack has oh. managed to crack into Gentleman Jack I've seen one and jaunty. So the thing I was watching, I couldn't turn the subtitles off uh, for whatever reason. And it just kept saying jaunty music. (laughs) And it made me laugh a lot. Jaunty music. This is HBO, but in collaboration with the BBC. It's the first HBO series to have been created, written and directed by a woman. Round of applause. And that woman is? Sally Wainwright. She is amazing. She is. I was predisposed to like this anyway. I love Sally Wainwright. Good things come out of Halifax, don't they, Mick? Sure do. Got to love a bit of Saran. Exactly. It's got great people in it. And I will say that Saran Jones is great. and She's got loads of amazing ticks in it. Just those little looks to camera. That, that, That stuff where she tips her hat up with her cane... The supporting cast is also just bang on and it is absolutely full of people. You think, why aren't they on TV more? Exactly. Like Gemma Jones, Sean Dooley, Gemma Whelan. Gemma Whelan's eye rolls in this are just <laughs> amazing. The most put upon little sister ever. Stephanie Cole. Why isn't Timothy West? Come on. <laughs> what I will say is the first two episodes are likeable. They're certainly entertaining. I enjoyed them. I mean, they are play setting, obviously, so they're a bit more fun. I've managed to watch ahead to episode six and 
it's got some real emotional wallop and some actual physical wallop in it. I'm not surprised it's Wainwright. I am not surprised Which by that. Which is, you, no, no, oh, absolutely. But if you haven't seen a Sally Wainwright yeah, totally. before, you might not be expecting it. The other thing worth noting is it has a lesbian protagonist. And I'm not an expert on lesbians in fiction, clearly. But it seems to be about lesbian relationships in a level of depth that I have not seen on something that was mainstream rather than something that was deliberately targeted about being gay. Mm -hmm. is a mainstream BBC drama. And I think... Is breaking all sorts of new ground. So well done, Sally Waymark. And also, Anne Lister was an interesting lesbian. One, because of the time, the fact that she wasn't allowed to, you know... We haven't actually had said that, have we? It's about Anne Lister. It's about Anne Lister. Famous industrialist in just sort of, just pre-Victoria. Yeah, and she was known as Gentleman Jack, and she was an out lesbian. She made homes with... Or she... She wasn't hiding it. She well, you see, this is it. There, are, there contains a number of really quite beautiful pleas from Saran Jones to be able to live us out in about the most impossible way as you can be out at that time period. Yeah, she is aware that rumours exist about her. Her argument is just deny it and move on. Don't hide it, which is an odd way of being out. But I suppose it's the most out you can be. She's not. She's not ashamed of it, which of she's course she not, should not be. But she not. would have absolutely been made to be pilloried for it. She was exactly. also really sexually predatory. And in a wonderful interview, I saw Sally Wainwright describe her as a rubberknicker's shag bandit, which yeah. is a cracking phrase. Mm. And then Sally goes, "You know, rubber up and down." <laughs> uh, yeah. Can I ask a question? Um, do you know how it's going down in the states at all? Well, it's got a second series. Yeah. So yeah. good then. Yes. The good thing about it being HBO rather than the BBC is that we're actually going to get eight episodes of this. HBO usually walk to a, work to a ten episode format. BBC worked to a six. So we get somewhere in the mm-hmm. middle, which is eight. I mean, bear in mind I've been on holiday for mm. three weeks before this happened. I haven't really had a lot of time to do a lot of reading around it. I don't know what reaction it's getting from the lesbian community, except I spoke to Kate McCabe yesterday and she's watching it. She loves it. And she loves it. So (laughs) that's good enough for me. But yes, I think of all the things that I'm talking about here, Gentleman Jack is probably the most accessible. So if you're going to watch anything, just watch that. Because it's it's brilliant and it's funny and it's got great people in it. It's got some really jaunty music. Yeah. (laughs) Which brings us to the last thing on my list oh actually i should say veep was fucking great i don't want to say for too long because i know that most most people don't watch veep which is a a crying shame talking of crying contained one of my favorite put downs in this series that if you just watch it for how badly they talk to each other be amazing but amy who is she basically runs julia louis jofus's character selena meyer she basically runs her life for her um there's a point at which somebody says to her Okay, Amy, enjoy your uh, sob as you slide down the bathroom wall this evening. (laughs) (laughs) And I laughed for about half an hour. (laughs) Anyway, which brings us to something which is just amazing. And that's that there's been a Deadwood film. Do I need to leave the room because I haven't seen it yet? No, I'm going to be entirely spoiler-free on this because just out of consideration for Mickey because... Thanks, mate. uh, Yeah, Uh, yeah, aired on Friday... 
it's kind of it actually feels strangely like weirdly emotional given that you know mickey pointed me to uh an interview with its creator david milch he uh has alzheimer's he has never ever really been allowed to finish anything almost everything he's ever made has been cancelled and finally he gets a chance to finish something which may be the last thing he ever writes so you know. he is slowly unraveling and it's it's heartbreaking but his dialogue is still sharp well, that's easier told than saddled and rode, Mick. <laughs> oh, I could have written thousands, thousands of his beautiful expressions down in this. Okay, so we are back in the town of Deadwood for an hour and a half um, for a closing film. It is now 1889, so that's approximately a decade after the last episode of Series 3. Now, what's great about Deadwood is that obviously it's not about people. It is about people, obviously, but it's also about a place, which means that you can actually move it on in forward in time and you're not like, oh, what are we going to We're going to have to make up stuff that's happening. There was just stuff happening. It's okay. They've just let forward to another time period. 1889, South Dakota becomes part of the United States. When it opens, they've got a train there now. And and that is amazing. We show the level of progress, like in 10 years, not in, in 10 years, like their 10 years. Yeah. They've now got a train. They've now got a public telephone. What? I know. The Deadwood Pioneer now has a, a camera that will take a photograph without about a 25-minute setup. So, yeah, there's a couple of really nice touches in it. Yeah, it's great. Not everyone's in it because some people have died. For example, Paz Booth has died. Um, some people appear to have been too busy to fit it in around their schedules. Some people are in it maybe not as much as you'd hope because they could do what they could do because they were really busy. Uh, some people, you just, you can't get, everyone, not everyone can have a plot in an hour and a half. It's quite short, so it largely focuses on its two male leads, which is Al Swearingen, played by Ian McShane, and Seth Bullock, played by Timothy Oliphant. And I want to talk about Timothy Oliphant. In series one, two, and three, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, Timothy Oliphant isn't the best actor in Deadwood by a long chalk. It's a tiny bit wooden at first, even. I, I think it's partly because his of the role that yeah. the character is playing. His character is incredibly repressed, so yeah. it's really hard. You've got to try, like, he's got to try and get that emotion across, plus know that he, you can tell that he's repressing something else. And this is permanent. He's either repressing rage or he's repressing upset. He just, he is, he's unbelievably repressed. He's a bottled up guy. Yeah. So, he's also surrounded by a lot of... Slightly older, I'd say 10 or 15 years older actors that have a bit more gravitas and are working really at the top of their game. Like, it's in Shane, this should be the role he should be remembered for. He's amazing. It, he is amazing in it. But, I mean, I could just go on forever. But if you look at the people that he's working with, he does a lot of stuff with Molly Parker. Molly Parker's incredible in this. John Hawkes is a bit more established than Timothy Oliphant was at this stage. Titus Welliver, who does quite a lot of stuff with, was really starting to like, and now is is got a, his own series, a, a, lead, he? a leading actor in his own right. So, yes, but what I will say is that if there was a benefit to waiting ten years for this, is that Timothy Oliphant is up for this now, and he is a much much better actor now. And Bullock stuff is lovely, really genuinely lovely, and the other stuff that's really lovely is Jane. Oh, now, Jane. Talking Deadwood about has, lesbians on telly. Well, see, there you go. That's a good point. And then that's what I'm going to get to. 
Deadwood is historically accurate to a point. It's generally historically accurate about world events, but it's not historically accurate about the individuals. So there's a number of individuals, Seth Bullock, Al Swearingen, Soul Star, Charlie Utter, Jane, who are all actually based on real people. But this has wandered very far from what their lives actually were mm-hmm. now. And therefore, that enables Jane to be someone and to get something and to achieve something that she probably didn't really achieve in real life. Yeah. And it's really heartening to watch it. And Robin Whitegart is brilliant. She's so good. She's good in everything. Yeah. But she's particular. She's always Jane to me. Have I been spoiler-free Yeah, she's done very well. You? I just upped the excitement levels. Yeah. Jen, sorry. Jen's got her... Oh, God, she's talking about Deadwood face no, no. on again. So, But she is wearing a Stetson, so she's gay. There we go. It's a couple of other things that people have told me to watch, but obviously I haven't got time because I've been watching all of this. Um, what have you been told that's good? I've been told uh, years, years and years. years. It's very mm. good. And also uh, something that's got John Hamm in it. Woo! Uh, that's on Amazon at the moment as based on Neil Gaiman. Oh, uh, Good Omens. Good Omens. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. I haven't watched either of those, so maybe we could talk about those next month. And guys, I've been very 2010 and finally watched Luther, so I've got thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> Tweet me. <laughs> I've um, been very 2012 and finally watched Line of Duty. Oh, right. Okay. And that's just ruined my life, basically. And on that note, I will speak to you soon. <laughs> Hannah Dunleavy's Outside of the Box.